1966, a young girl in Sicily was raped. 1,000 years of Sicilian custom dictated that the girl marry the man who raped her. The girl refused, sending shockwaves not only throughout Sicily, but throughout the world. My guest today, author Natalie Gali, read about the story of the Sicilian girl all the way on the other side of the world, here in San Francisco. And now, over 50 years later, Natalie has published a book about her quest to see if she could find the girl who said no, which also happens to be the title of the book. I'll talk with Natalie about uh, why the story stayed with her for, for so many years, why she decided to try to track down, why she decided to track down the woman at the center of it, and what she discovered and experienced on her quest in Italy. So don't go anywhere. Matthew Felix on Air starts now. Happy Mother's Day. Welcome to Matthew Felix On Air, people who create, people who make a difference. Coming to you once again from home base, San Francisco, California. Many of you probably know that I am recently back from a month in Paris, France. I got back a little over a week ago, and uh, it was an incredible, very busy month with three podcasts, three literary events, bearing firsthand testimony to the uh, Notre Dame tragedy, and lots, lots more going on behind the scenes. I also got to see two wonderful, very worthwhile exhibitions while I was in Paris. One was at the Atelier des Lumières. And if you're going to Paris anytime soon, you really want to check this out. I had read about it in the UK Guardian before I went to Paris. And then a few friends went and said, yeah, no, you know, it really is worthwhile. And basically what it is, is the Atelier is a former 19th century foundry that they have turned into this immersive art space. And when I say immersive, what I mean is they take um, an artist's work. So it was Klimt, I think, is who they started with last year. Now it's Van Gogh through the end of the year. So they take an artist's work and they use 140 video projectors, 50 speakers, and walls up to 10 meters or 30 feet high to project their art. So you are literally immersed in their artwork. And meanwhile, of course, there's music playing and, it, and it's everything's moving around. The pictures, the paintings essentially come to life. Um, so if you're heading to Paris, that was really, really worthwhile. And uh, and I highly recommend it. I loved it. Uh, the only thing I would say, though, is when a friend went to get tickets, they said that they were sold out for uh, for the entire next month. So it is one of those things that if you're going to do it, you might want to check into tickets ahead of time. I was also privileged to get to attend the opening of a new Hittite exhibition at the Louvre, and that exhibition is called Forgotten Kingdoms. So if you're interested in uh, ancient civilizations, it is also really worthwhile. Um, it has some incredible artifacts, including some really large sculptures that were, um, that were excavated from sites on the border with Turkey and Syria. And they were actually excavated 19, through 1911 to 1913, but then they got damaged uh, during the Second World War, and they've since been um, you know, put back together, basically rehabilitated so that they can be um, exhibited again. And, um, and I actually, you know, really like ancient history and having lived in Turkey and love that part of the world, uh, I found it really interesting and very worthwhile. So again, that is the Forgotten Kingdoms exhibition at the Louvre, and that is now through August 12th. I would have been happy to stay longer in Paris, but at the same time, it is great to be home. And it's a lot easier to do my podcast here uh, in the studio than it was in my rental in Paris, although I did pull it off. 
but it just took it took so much post production over there. And uh, so anyway, I'm really glad to be back here doing it here again. But uh, it was worth it to do it over there. I had three great conversations: one with author David Downey, one with author and filmmaker Ann Byrne, and then the third with artist and creative process exhibition founder Mia Funk. I couldn't upload the full video uh, versions of those episodes while I was overseas because in Paris because my internet connection was too slow and I went to a couple other places trying to find a better internet connection, was not able to. However, now that I've, since I've been home this past week, I was able to upload the video versions of each of those episodes. So if you prefer to watch versus just listen to the show as a podcast, you can now check out all three of those shows on Facebook and uh, YouTube. Okay, after this quick message from my host and sponsor, Wordspace Studios, I will be back with author Natalie Galley. A quick thanks to Wordspace Studios in San Francisco for sponsoring Matthew Felix On Air. Wordspace's mission is to bring together writers and thinkers of all ages and experiences. Wordspace will soon be offering creative writing workshops, a literary book club, and guided writing groups. And Wordspace is already offering writing residencies. They are submission-based, and they provide writers with room and board for up to one month. To find out more, you can email info at wordspacestudios.com. Okay, so I have to cheat here because <laughs> because I lost one of my cameras is missing. So I'm going to do this before I introduce Natalie, and then I'm going to put this camera on Natalie. So we're having this is this is a little little technical. Okay, here we go. I'm going to do this. I'm going to hold this in my hand, and then I'm going to turn it on Natalie once I'm done with <laughs> with this introduction. Okay. Natalie Galli has penned two illustrated children's books, Chow Meow, An Italian Cat Story, and Spin, The Hound Lost and Found, A Tale of the 1906 San Francisco Earthquake. Her writing has been anthologized in Italy, A Love Story, and in four volumes of Traveler's Tales books, three of which were awarded gold and silver prizes by, the, uh, Bay, Area, by Bay Area travel writers. Natalie has worked as an editor and proofreader for Burning Books, as a columnist for the Berkeley Monthly, and as a freelance contributor to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me put this camera down okay. and see. Let's see. And then I'm going to have to adjust it once we go back to you. Um, yeah, I okay. lost the camera somehow. I'm not sure how that happened. And uh, it's, it, might be, it could be in France. The camera could be somewhere in France. It could be, I don't know where it is. I ran home, tried to find it. It should be here in the studio. But thank you for your patience as I, um, although I guess it's really, you can't tell the difference. I'm the one who sees how, th how messed up things here are. <laughs> all right. So uh, I just mentioned, first of all, again, thank you for being here today. Thank you. I just mentioned that in addition to the book that we're going to talk about, The Girl Who Said No, that uh, you've written two children's books. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me a little bit about them? Yes. They are self-published, and they are the product of um, the artwork of my sisters oh, cool. and my text. So they're definitely a cottage family industry production, that, and that studio is called Sunbath Studios. Okay. And I'll just hold, hold the it up. most yeah. recent one up. I think I'm holding it in a place where it can be seen. You are. Yep, that's this perfect. was just uh, published early this year, and we're very excited about it. It essentially tells the story of one of my grandmother's survival of the San Francisco quake yeah. um, through the eyes, well, through the voice of a dog. Yeah. <laughs> and beautiful illustrations by my sister. Okay, that's Thank great you. that you're you're keeping it all in the family. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And 
Uh, so that's the most recent one. And the previous one, though, was about an Italian cat. Yes. And what was that? What was the storyline for that? Chow Meow. Chow Meow. Chow Meow, an Italian cat story. Yeah. It's and what's a, that storyline there? That story is, is a, a cat who is abandoned, um, left behind when the litter is picked up and taken off oh, in no. a cart. And the uh, cat, Sabina, needs to find a new home. So it's a, it's, a, it's a story of how an owner who doesn't know she needs this cat and the cat that doesn't know she needs this particular owner come together. And that takes place in Italy? It takes place in a small town in, in southern Italy. In southern in Sicily or no, elsewhere in Sicily? No, southern? in oh. Calabria, actually. Okay. The inspiration was my sister's partner's um, childhood childhood home oh, okay. and his early experiences with with animals okay. who were some in, of his best friends in Italy in Italy in a town called Verbicaro okay many many immigrants so from you, yeah so you've got lots of Italian it's not even, I do even in your extent you marry into your family marries into more Italian it sounds some, like some or of our, my family did with, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. so let's let's talk a little bit about that because um, the new book obviously takes place in Sicily which we're going to talk about the cat book takes place down in that in, in down south in That's Italy right. um, tell me a little bit about your your it sounds like you're this sort of multi-generational Italian Bay Area Italian family so can you tell me a little bit about about your background yes um, the Italian I, part sure um, well it's Italian on all sides okay. um, on my father's side it is northern northern Switzerland and oh, Luca okay we, and Luca is the uh, place that my grandmother who survived the San Francisco quake where her parents came from okay my southern um, roots are on my mother's side they are 100% Sicilian Palermo and a small town called Contessa Antelina which mm. is in the um, uh, in the Greek Albanian plain, mm -hmm. so that already gives you an idea of the blending of cultures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And North and South in Italy are not known for getting along so well. So how did that work out in your family? Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it all balanced out, and it's just perfect. You're all it, just really, really well balanced. Well, um, I don't know if I can answer that part. Uh -huh. I'm feeling pretty balanced today. Okay, good. So that's good. Because I'm not. Okay. So that's good. You can so, carry this for us. All right, yeah. I'll carry it. Um, uh, North and South are two totally different uh, realities in Italy. Many people don't realize how much the regions of Italy dictated uh, culture, language, dialect, uh, food, everything. And, right. and so actually, in my case, my, um, my parents met because they were both of a particular political um, persuasion, uh -huh. which was not typical at the time. There were other progressive socialists in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, but many, many, most Italians were Catholic and not necessarily politically inclined that way. Yeah. So that was actually the draw between my parents was that they both came from these pedigrees of um, socialist uh, progressive yeah. thinking yeah. on the part of both of their sets of parents. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Which, well, San Francisco really, was a good place for that. Yeah. It was a good place for yeah. it. And yeah. they were both, both of my parents were born here and one of the grandmothers was born here. Yeah. So yes, it's third generate, third generation. Okay. In, in, yeah. On did one guys, side. Did you guys have a North beach connection? Cause that's the, yes, yes. We, that's the, what we most, most of us here associate with the Italian quote neighborhood historically. That's right. Um, definitely a North Beach connection. My mother's father, the Sicilian f 
uh, uh, from Contessa Antelina from the Greek Albanian plain, became a, a medical doctor in Palermo, uh, went through New Orleans, stayed there for several years working on the yellow fever epidemics, plural, that passed through there, uh -huh. and decided on San Francisco. So um, his office was on Columbus okay. and Green, and the building <laughs> is still there. The building's still there. Yes, and, right. and there were other connections with North Beach, but there were also connections, very strong ones, to Cow Hollow and uh -huh. the marina, uh -huh. and that's where I grew up, okay. actually. Right. So we stayed fairly close to home, but it's amazing what that one hill between uh, uh, Cow Hollow and North Beach can do to separate people. It's amazing. In so far or as it, within it the Italian community, well, sort of in, two my different family, in my uh -huh. family, in my family, it actually was a kind of a, um, a divide. Yes, of some sort. Oh no, they're Which, North Beachers, and we're Cow Hollowers. It, it or? was more that, uh, yeah, a little bit, um, it, it, a little bit. It, um, I don't know if I can say more on the spot, but but I will just say that each of those neighborhoods had very different feelings mm -hmm. to them, and very different. Um, um, hmm. It's more of a, a sensation, yeah. and they're they're only a mile away. Yeah. At at each end. Yeah. I mean, from one end to the yeah. other. Yeah. We yeah. forget how small San Francisco is. Yeah. So, and, and plus, both of those are kind of in the north, obviously, part of, of the city. That's so, yeah, right. the distance, not, it's just the hill as the it's crow just flies. the hill, yeah. So, what about um, while you were growing up? And then we're going to talk specifically about Sicily. But um, what about, did you speak Italian at home? Was that mm. day in, day out? It sounds like Ita your Italian heritage was probably very much a part of your day to day existence. I mean, or. Yes, yeah. it was very much a part of my day to day existence, but I was not. Um, encouraged as so many kids of my generation and uh, of that level at that level in the immigration were discouraged from spending too much time learning the original language Ugh, so it's not just heartbreaking well it but is typical but very very but very typical, typical because you want to integrate with the community or your parents I mean or, or their parents wanted you know we're Americans now and yes. that's, you want to embrace that identity which I can understand if you're coming from someplace else yeah. but now today Having learned, yeah. you know, two and a quarter languages myself, it's uh -huh. like, no, no, no. If I had kids and I were someplace else, I would just want them to hold on to that language because that's such gifts. And, and you learn so much easier when you're a kid and all that kind of you stuff. You do. Um, of course. Uh, right. I mean, it's the dilemma that so many people face and so many people feel the loss of yeah. of not having had that language when they get older. Yeah. Um, in my case, um, I heard lots of Italian. Uh -huh. I heard very few words of Sicilian, but occasionally a few would slip out uh -huh. in a heated uh -huh. moment. Yeah. Um, but I, I had the ear attuned yep. to the language and I loved it, mm -hmm. but we weren't necessarily speaking it ourselves. Well, and it's, it's, I always say it's like three different muscles because so for example, I can understand usually I can actually usually I can understand Italian, although mm. it depends where in Italy. Yeah. Because there are, I guess, certain dialects I can understand much more easily than others or certain accents. I'm not sure which. I wouldn't know how to, t to tell you. But understanding is sort of one muscle. Hearing, you know, orally understanding mm. one is one muscle. Writing is another. Mm -hmm. And then verbally being able to produce. Because, of course, it's much easier to write because you can take the time and you can watch what you're doing. But then when you're speaking in the moment, you've got to be on your toes. And so to me, they're almost like three different activities that have the same base. But but it's fascinating that you can understand a language without being able to sp to speak or write it. That the it brain is. can somehow do that. It is, you know, just from being around it. Right. Anyway, that's a whole I, other. Well, it is, but it's an interesting thing, and I think that those are must be three different distinct parts of parts the brain. Parts of the brain, yeah. Because some 
happen very easily and effortlessly and some are torture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's so much work. Yeah, so much work. Okay, so let's talk about Sicily specifically. This mm. is the place where the book takes this takes place. This is um a big part of your past like we just got done talking about, although we could talk so much more about about that, I'm sure as well. But what can you tell us at a high level about the history of Sicily? Now, it's so complex, it's so layered. Mm. So, I don't expect <laughs> I am going to cheat. I'm going to I'm going to help you with uh with some of your own uh, words here okay. because I you've got a great a great summary in the book. But just at a high level. Yeah. For someone who's not familiar with Sicily, okay. how would you kind of characterize it okay well let me just at, at first say that sicily is in the very center of the mediterranean mm -hmm. and it is uh, there it has therefore been a, a magnet and a, a goal from every possible cardinal point and sub-cardinal point around the compass of the uh, mediterranean and beyond yep. um, but it has a tremendously ancient fascinating complex history it's very bloody yeah i, I mean yeah. terribly bloody and sad <laughs> yeah and difficult on the population at mm. so many junctures but it but it it makes our melting pot here <laughs> uh -huh. look like a, a, i don't know a little dish like yeah. this because yeah. it, it, it it's five thousand years of this invasion this uh, trading group. This uh, it, it's it's such a, an amalgam, and it shows in the architecture in the most yes. beautiful ways yes. that you can never see that kind of architecture anywhere else. Literally, two kinds of styles blended into one, like Ara Arabo Norman. Arabo Norman, into, right. which is a, a genuine um, architectural style, and that yep. is the cathedral in Palermo, which is both Moorish-looking, Arabo, Moorish. And Norman, the Nor the Normans came and they left, you know, I mean, they, they brought many, yeah. many things. And part of that is embedded literally in that architecture. Right, right. So I'm going to cheat here and okay. I probably should have had you read this, but no, I no, didn't please. figure this part out. And also I'm going to read this so fast and you're going to read your parts, a couple of excerpts later, much, much more beautifully than what I'm going to do. <laughs> this is really just for, for function, okay. you know, um, but, but I liked how you summarized kind of what you just said here in these, these two pages early on in the book. So, uh, quote, They came to the island from every direction, drawn into her turquoise waters. The indigenous Sicans were overlaid by Sicils. I'm not going to say mm -hmm, half these names mm -hmm. right. Sicils, then Elmians, then Phoenicians, Greeks, and Romans. Vandals and Ostrogoths, Ostrogoths poured in. Arabs created a great cultural flowering of tolerance, enlightenment, and philosophy for a brief time. Normans brought their red hair, French customs, and established universities. This nonstop procession of traders, warriors, explorers, artists, colonizers, and pirates, soldiers, and poets, learned and lowbrow, mathematicians, architects, tilers, musicians, royalty, and refugee from every port rimming the sea steered in with the currents. The Spanish were mean. They did their best to subjugate and destroy, much like they did in the New World. The Austrian Habsburgs played some kind of role. The British built villas and cultivated Marsala wines. I read somewhere that Napoleon once tried to conquer the island but didn't pull it off, and I was ignorant of the details, but when Garibaldi and the Northerners came down and claimed the island for the newly founded Republic of Italy, the unification, it was more of a land grab, one more assault. So I just thought that that was such a great, you know, sort of listing mm. with glimpses into each element that the respective cultures contributed mm. to um, to Sicil Sicilian culture and history and architecture and um, it really is. There's a lot going on there. Like you said, our melting pot in comparison it's pales little, in comparison. It's a, little yeah. it's a petri dish in comparison. Yeah, it's a petri dish. Yeah. Okay. So 
along those lines, I want to read just a few other facts about Sicily that I got on Wikipedia because um, because it is so interesting. And I'm always curious when I'm talking, when I have someone on the show to talk about a particular place, I like to just get some facts. And so the first fact I'll mention here is that uh, Sicily is the largest island in the Mediterranean. Mount Edna um, on Sicily is the tallest active volcano in Europe and one of the uh, most active in the world. And it currently measures 10,922 feet high. Sicily, quote, is a melting pot of a variety of different cultures and ethnicities. I just covered this, but including the Italic people, the Phoenicians, Cartagenians, Greeks, Romans, Byzantines, Arabs, Normans, Swabians, Aragonese, Lombards, Spaniards, French, and Albanians. So it's interesting. There are a whole bunch there that we didn't even mention in those two pages. I know. I left some out. (laughs) Which only underscores the point, right? Um, About 5 million people live in Sicily, making it the fourth most populated region of Italy. Sicily is the Italian region with the highest number of expatriates. As of 2017, Mm -hmm. so last two well, two years ago now, 750 Sicilians, 14.4% of the island's population lived abroad. For lack of employment, every year many Sicilians, especially young graduates, still leave the island to seek jobs abroad. Today, an estimated 10 million people of Sicilian origin live around the world. And so I just said I think that there were 5 million on the island today, right? So a lot of Sicilians everywhere. The last thing I'll mention here is Sicil- Sicily continues to have a GDP per capita below the Italian average and higher unemployment than the rest of Italy. Difference is mostly caused by the negative influence of the mafia that is still active in some areas, though it is much weaker in the past. Let's just talk really quickly about the mafia because it was interesting in your book. Not too much. We're not going to incriminate you. We're not going to, we're not going to, and I'm not going to incriminate anyone. Okay. And you're not going to incriminate anyone. We're not going to worry about when we walk outside after the show, but, but that is one of the big associations that we have with Sicily, right? Is the mafia. And, I, I spent three weeks in Sicily mm. several years ago, five, six years ago. And you see in Palermo, a lot of the palaces or Palazzo are, you know, they're just decrepit in this. You can see this faded glory. And a lot of what I was told when I was there or read about maybe, um, maybe a little bit of both was that a lot of the money that's destined to help a lot of the cultural stuff and get Sicily back on its feet is because the mafia still does play a role. And there is a part in your book oh. where there's a factory that it was oh, never used, yeah, for example, exactly, right? Yeah. But then there's a tour guide in your book who tells the tour that the mafia really is nothing. Right. So just any thoughts, high level, on kind of the, 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 that association that we still have? And I don't know, maybe I just kind of covered it. but Well, you may have covered it. Um, I, I do cringe when I, see, when I realize that there is, st- there is an entire genre of film, um, mostly out of Hollywood, but other places too, that thinks that, Sicily equals mafia. Uh-huh. Um, on the other hand, kind of like the class system in England, uh, everyone is affected by the mafia who lives in Sicily. Yep. Um, but we are, I mean, when we look at our own culture here, we're affected by what goes on in Washington. All of us are to some right. degree or another. So that's kind of the comparison I want to draw. And that I do think it's lamentable that um, that the association with the mafia precludes some people from learning anything more about the amazing island, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. it's the only impression they have. Right. And, and just one final thing I'd like to yeah, say, which yeah. is mafia is a really kind of hmm, um, romantic term for terrorism. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and terrorism, as we know, sadly exists everywhere. Right. Right. So I just wanted to make uh, that that word choice, that word association. Yeah. Yeah. Not that it isn't accurate or not that it didn't generate from Sicily. But right. There's more. It's again, there's more nuance, more complexity. Yeah. 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 Okay. 
so much more we could say about Sicily. And the last thing I guess I'll say about Sicily is it is wonderful and completely worth worth a visit. Um, and I was going to talk about some of the tourist stuff, but we're already we've already talked so much about Sicily. We kind of need to move on. So let's talk about the girl who said no. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you give us a high level introduction to what the book is about? And then I know you're going to read the prologue, which also helps kind of go a little deeper to setting that up. Yes, I can. Um, I have my book in front of me, and the prologue is um, not even on page one, it, or it's it's page 11. It precedes <laughs> chapter one. Uh-huh. Uh, what I want to say about it is that, that um, whether I would have noticed this article if I didn't have Sicilian heritage is hard to say because it certainly galvanized me. So let me just read the sure. prologue, which is one page long. Sure. I could so easily have missed the tiny item in the San Francisco Chronicle, but sometime during the spring of 1966, on the hunt for a current events article to bring to sixth period social studies, I came upon the three-inch filler. Raped Sicilian girl refuses to marry. Tropani, Italy. A young woman has shocked her countrymen by refusing to marry a man who raped her. Franca Viola, 18 years old, has defied more than 1,000 years of Sicilian tradition by rejecting nuptials with Filippo Melodia, 25 years old, who tried to force her into marriage by the time-honored custom of abduction and rape. Convention dictates that Viola must accept a, quote, reparation marriage with Melodia to restore her broken honor. The tradition is still part of Italian law, which provides that all charges be dropped when a woman weds the man who has kidnapped and carnally violated her. The girl has publicly avowed that she has no intention of changing her mind, despite the forceful opinions of many of her townspeople. She has not left her family's modest white home for several weeks. They have endured repeated vandalism and threats of violence. I did not cut it out. We had to bring something front page to class, but I never forgot the Sicilian woman's story. So what does a sixth grader think oh. when she reads something like that? That there's a, there's a woman not, hor- not, I mean, obviously somewhat older than, than you were at the time, but yeah. still a, a young woman, a, a, an old girl, a young woman. Yeah. I mean, yeah, somewhere yeah. in between, right? What, what's your reaction to that? Well, I just want to say that I was not in sixth grade. It was sixth period, oh. that, but but it mm. was um, ninth grade. Ninth grade. Yes. Okay. yes. So you were actually closer to her in age then? I was. Yeah. I was about five years younger. Okay. So what, what did you think yeah. when you read that, wait, she got raped and yet she's supposed to marry this guy? Right. Well, I thought, well, my first thought was this is absolutely insane. Right. I don't understand this. Right. I can't make sense of this twisted bizarre tradition it is so wrong in every possible way (laughs) it defied belief it it was it was cognitive dissonance for me to 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 read it and that's what i think why it gripped me so much um Mm -hmm. um, as far as what i was going through in junior high at that point i think i was trying to figure out pre women's liberation of 1968, 1969. This was a couple of years before, and those were critical years. I was trying to figure out, how do I grow up and be a woman when I have no real pathway to get there? Mm -hmm. And this is one girl, older than me, but she was called girl in in some cases, um, who, well, 
at the very least, she she knows what her society is 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 wrong. Right. She knows that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Her gut told her, her intuition, everything about her told her that it, this was wrong. Yeah. And she was not going to be a part of it. Right. So right. that resonated for me because I, um, I was questioning everything and didn't necessarily have words for what I was going through or what the limitations were that I felt I was feeling as an adolescent girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I was feeling it. Yeah. I was really feeling it. And, and so this just this kind of... You know, this is like, um, this just galvanized me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it galvanized you so much that 50 years later you were still thinking about it. Uh, 50 years later is about now. Right. And I, so I 40 am still plus th- years. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how long it took you to write the book. Well, but yeah. that's another story. Do you yeah. want me to tell you? No. <laughs> okay. Not that good. part yet. No, because okay. I already I have so many questions. <laughs> okay. Okay. But um, uh, go ahead. You, no, no, no. So let's say 40 years. 40 years later, you're still thinking about it. Uh, well, I, to be honest, it was 22 years after that. That you started writing that I, the book. That I, that I, the next phase of the book, I mean, the act, the action that I took uh-huh. happened. I mean, okay. the, the, the events of the book, um, take place in 1988. Okay. When uh-huh. I went there specifically right. to look for her. To look for her. Yeah. So let's talk really quickly, um, before we get into, to some of the specifics about your trip and, and your quest, um, to see if you could even find her, if she was even still in Sicily, which she didn't even know. Uh, whether she would be or not, because so, so much time had passed. But so bride napping as a custom in Sicily. Yeah. Let's talk about this because we just said it's a thousand year, uh, variations on this are a thousand year custom. Uh, I mean, I guess the thousand year custom was that if, if a woman gets raped, she has to marry the guy. I don't know if that's, that's part of bride napping. I don't know if they're exactly one and the same, but they're related, obviously. Um, you say in the book, you ask your cousin uh, how long that custom had, had, has been around, and she said centuries, well, millennia, back to the ancient Greeks. They had a term for it, kleptogamos, literally meaning stolen wedding. We can, hear the, we can look to the Romans as well, and certainly the Arabs. What about the Old Testament? Well, it was interesting for me because um, I first heard about this a year ago this custom in Central Asia. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just something, and maybe this just speaks to what we were just talking about a second ago with regards to all the different cultures that were passing through through Sicily. Maybe it has nothing to do with it. Maybe just similar things happen in, in, in similar cultures. But Wikipedia explains, again, I went to Wikipedia just to see how widespread is this. It's not mm-hmm. just Sicily. Bride kidnapping, also known as bride napping, marriage by abduction or marriage by capture, is a practice in which the man abducts the, the woman he wishes to marry. Bride kidnapping has been practiced around the world and throughout history. It continues to occur in countries in Central Asia, which, like I said, that's where I found out about it. The Caucasus region, parts of Africa, and among peoples as diverse as the Hamong in Southeast Asia, the Zeltzal in Mexico, and the Romani, we used to call them the Gypsies, in Europe. In most nations, bride kidnapping is considered a sex crime rather than a valid form of marriage. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, sometimes if it may be seen as falling along the continuum between forced marriage and arranged marriage, uh, the term is sometimes used to include not only abductions, but also elopements. So, and there's, there's a whole bunch more there, but I just thought it was interesting. Um, it's not even just a Sicilian thing. Yes. Um, it's, it's, it's more widespread than that. Um, so, so let's go then. How and when did you decide? Okay. You, so you said 22 years after you read that story is, is the when, but what was it that, or how and when did you decide, not when with regards to time-wise, because like I said, we just established that, but what was it that made you make that decision? I want to see if I can go find her and find out what happened to her after this. Because right. you, you didn't know anything. 
But you were still, she was still up there and yeah. you were still curious. Yeah, she was still up up here and she had been on and off. I mean, I, I didn't think about her every day of my life <laughs> of those 22 years. Good, good. But the story lingered with me and the question, because again, because it was a filler, such a tiny little article, which mm-hmm. I just many people don't know what a filler is, but in the old days when uh, column inches in the in newspapers uh, maybe didn't, go all the way down to the bottom of the page and there was a little gap left uh, the editors had a, a pile I think of selection of human interest kind of stories that they could plug in to fill up the empty space literally in yep. a paper yep. and um, th- and this was one of those so so of course I had no idea what had resulted from her saying no um, I had you know my worst fantasies were that she had been killed Mm-hmm. for her audacity mm-hmm. to stand up to it or run out of uh, the town or run out of Sicily or maybe had to make an escape. Um, I even remembered, and this is and I, this is kind of interesting to me, uh, I remembered that she was pregnant from it, which turned out not mm. to be the case. Mm. I mean, my, yeah. I, I, my adolescent mind uh-huh, was remembering... Uh-huh. A lot that was accurate, but that that was inaccurate. But that was the anxiety. That was one of the anxieties, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. that did not, in fact, take place. Right. Um, but um, at, at that point, when I suddenly became re-obsessed with Franca Viola's story, I, I, I just had to find out. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it mm-hmm. was just one of these things that came over me. Not it was a rational early. thing. It was just more this. Yeah, it was it was, it was as if it had been, you know, um, germinating in me all that time, a really slow growing yeah. seed or it was dormant. And right. suddenly it sprang in front of me. And I it happened to be International Women's Day, which mm. may just be a coincidence, uh-huh, but uh-huh. it may not. Yeah. I was laid off of a job in Berkeley. I suddenly had some freedom. I had a little bit of money and rent was cheap back then, and I could mm. actually take time off and just go. It was this... Perfect storm, sort of. Yes, mm-hmm. in the best possible way. Plus, my mother's first cousin, Maya, mm-hmm. who accompanies me on so many of my adventures, yeah. when I get to Sicily, a dear, dear woman, um, said to me, but you must come for the Easter celebrations. They are fantastic. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They last for all week before Easter. And you you will see them nowhere else. I mean, again, like the architecture of Sicily, you will see this nowhere else. Right, and, right. And so blending all of those things together, plus the fact that I did try to find out in San Francisco and the East Bay at various libraries if I could find a thesis that someone had written about this girl or if, if I could look through microfilm and find it, but that proved to be quickly, pa- extremely painful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even um, the San Francisco Chronicle, Chronicle would not let me, would not let me into their vault. Oh, they wouldn't and even I let you try. So they, they would not let me, hmm. I mean, they don't let anyone in, I guess, or they mm-hmm. certainly didn't back then. Yeah. And even though I had a, a friend who was a, a, a reporter for the Chronicle, he couldn't get anywhere with it. They couldn't find it. He, well, he wasn't allowed to go in. Uh, it, it, it suddenly, you know, I, I could get no information. I had to go myself yeah. and, and find out. Okay. So you decide you're going to go. It's all and all the signs are pointing you. Now's the time. It's yeah. Easter. You laid off. You can do this. And you go and you're, you're staying with your cousin, Maya, mm-hmm. your, or your mom's cousin, Maya, mom's who is also cousin. your cousin, I guess, yes. once right. removed or yes. whatever that is. Yep. Yes. And so you get there. And again, you don't know if this, the Franca, the, the woman who said, the girl who said, no, you don't even know if she's still in Sicily, if she's alive, if she, you don't know anything about her because you couldn't find out anything. 
But you tell your cousin Maya, um, you, you bring up the subject with her. And what is her reaction? And this is the second yeah. excerpt that, yeah. um, if you could read. I will. This is very and telling. Yes, and this is a little bit longer. Um, it's from Chapter 4, The Night That I Arrived in Sicily. Maya picked me up at the airport. She drove us back in her insane style. <laughs> As they do there. As they yep. do, and yep. she was right up there with all of them in terms of no li- you know, no lines in the road, no sense of linearity right. at all. Just right. no get rules. there. Just get no there. rules, just yeah. get there. So I'm recovering from that. Plus, there are no seatbelts in the car. Oh, yeah, because back then, why bother? Yeah, and you so, could also, they could also drink a drive. Didn't oh, matter back then. Okay, yeah, I'm sure Maybe that's didn't true. Know she that. didn't do okay. that. But, okay, good. Um, I'm glad she didn't. No, she didn't. But we, okay. you know, we we parked. <laughs> we we've gone into her apartment. I'm remembering how beautiful it is because I have been there before, many yep. years before. Yeah. And um, we're at the dinner table. So Maya stood to clear the dishes, and I jumped up to help. No, no, you're the guest. Sit, relax. She returned with a bowl of oranges. We shaved thin pieces off a wedge of pecorino cheese on a platter between us. Maya, Sicara, do you happen to remember someone by the name of Franca Viola? Franca Viola! She sat upright, looking straight, piercingly at me. Of course I remember her. Whatever became of her? That I do not know. She put her knife down. Why do you ask such a thing? I've always been curious about her story. Do you think she's still alive? Oh, surely she is still alive. If she were not, we would have heard about it. Do you suppose she stayed in Trapani all this time? Trapani? That's not where she lived. That's not where the kidnap occurred. It was in Alcamo. This I remember absolutely. Ah, and how far to Alcamo from Palermo? Just an hour from here, if that traveling from the airport in the opposite direction. So you think she still lives in Sicily then? My cousin grew wide-eyed. Probably. The conversation which had been moving along so well, with me feeling kind of confident in the language, halted. We don't talk about these things anymore, she finally added. It happened a long time ago, and it was very sad and hard on the poor girl. People don't like to bring it up. No? I would like to find out where she is. Maya sat rigid, puzzled. Perché? Because she was so strong, so courageous, so strong. But how? There is no means to find this woman, Natalie, she said urgently, her neck muscles straining. No? I straightened my spine. With her fruit knife, Maya took an orange and peeled it, rotating it slowly so the skin fell away in a helix toward her plate. I don't see how you can do it. I I was thinking I could go to her town, to Alcamo, and ask around. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Her knife was poised, suspended in one hand, the peel of the orange boing-boinging from the other. I have to take a sip. Take a sip. Okay. Take a That's because what it's there I for. I can't make the sound <laughs> that she made. <laughs> take a sip. That's what the water's there for. Okay. While you're taking a sip, we'll yeah. say hello to Diane LeBeau. Yes. Hello, Liz. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Susan. Susan, I think, is, um, is she's my friend who is, I believe she has uh, Sicilian 
uh, parentage as well. But anyway, oh, okay. go ahead with your. <laughs> okay, so the sound that yeah. I need. So make the water. sound now that you have the water for it. Yep. <laughs> okay, here's the sound. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. She clicked her tongue and wagged her finger. It's not done. And I might add that that means no. No, okay. In, in, in Italian. In Italian. In Sicilian. In Sicilian, yeah. Okay. So, I busied myself trying to make an orange peel helix like hers. Red juice splattered all over the plate. It could be dangerous, she continued. Even though it happened over 22 years ago, I broke the fruit into segments. A blood orange, it tasted like raspberry perfume. Maya was shaking her head in thought. I'll tell you one thing. Her story was front page news for a year. I remember very clearly those daily headlines about Viola. Oh, yes. Were most people on her side? In the North, absolutely. But Sicilians were deeply divided on the subject. Some felt that she was completely out of line. They called her the most terrible names out in the street. Ugly things. Putana. Strega. Diavola. Whore. Witch, she-devil. Can you imagine? Though many, many Sicilians did support her. Did you? She twisted a button on her blouse. I did, of course. She-devil. That's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) She-devil. Is there anything more insulting? (laughs) Okay, so your cousin is saying, we don't talk about those things anymore. There is no means to find this woman, Natalie. I wouldn't go to her town and ask around if I were you. It could be dangerous. So did you think twice about undertaking the search when you heard all that? I absorbed it. I also had jet lag. and <laughs> <laughs> I, So it didn't sink in as much as it, it might have otherwise? I, I didn't know really what she meant. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, here's a, an old lady. I'll be very honest with you. you yeah, know, I, this yeah. is some time ago. Yeah. Uh, an old lady who has old lady worries. My family is full of old ladies who worry. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, re- I remember this. It's, I'm recognizing this family trait. Yeah. Um, and, but she also didn't specify why it was dangerous. Mm-hmm. So if she had, I might have uh, taken an extra uh, breath or, yeah. or yeah. you know, worried a little bit more. But because she didn't, and it's very telling that she didn't say why she was so worried. Yeah. Um, I sort of plowed ahead in my American uh, style. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we so so much of the book is about your actual search. And so we're not going to talk about that because people need to read the book to find out um, about the search itself and whether you do even end up finding the woman or not. We're not going to yeah. talk about that again. Sorry, but that's why you have to read the book. But um, but one thing you definitely did find is you were on a, unlike this F, the San Francisco Chronicle here you were able to get into some library archives and find out more about the actual trial itself. Yes. So a couple of questions about the trial. Well, first off, is there anything that really struck you about the trial? Because um, this is again 1966 was the trial. Yes, I think okay. end of 1966. Yeah. So just some high level reactions to to what you discovered about the trial. Was it basically what you would kind of expect? Was it because I was, um, um, I, I got access to the microfilm in the National Library in Palermo, which led me to daily um, accounts, recounts of what went on during the trial. And there was so much attention focused on it, and so many people were so uh, uh, glued to the information that um, I was astounded by how beautifully the Italian journalists were able to to 
to report what was the essence of what was said in those in those in some of the testimony, mm-hmm. um, and that was a, that's a tribute to the Italian journalistic style, which is is very very detailed mm-hmm. and nothing like what we're accustomed to right now with our mm-hmm. news and our attention span. You know of sound bites of sound and, bites. Yeah. These are these were tweets, ver- tweets yep. and you know, just the most superficial of things. These were in-depth reports of what went on each day in the court. And by the way, um, we haven't revealed who was on trial. Mm-hmm. Actually, you and I haven't revealed who was on trial. Mm-hmm. And that was also something that astonished me as well, that 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 um, she might actually need to go to trial. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She might and she might not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I'm just biting my tongue here and trying to revisit everything I just read and make sure I don't say no, the wrong thing. No, you did. Okay. Because we talked um, about this beforehand. She's like, no spoilers. I said, no, no, no. I get it. No spoilers. No, we um, haven't spoiled anything. We haven't spoiled anything. Yeah. The, 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 the drama of, the, of what went on in the courtyard and the drama of the testimony is the kind of stuff that, that it, it, you could almost point for point turn it into a screenplay if you wanted right, to because right. it was so um it was almost like rashomon you know mm-hmm. i mean it was like rashomon everyone had a different version of what the, the key people had different versions of what happened of course and that's often the case in any trial oh, inevitably almost, yes yeah. but the but the figures the main figures who appeared and the way that the judges dealt with the uh, material and the way that the prosecutors and the defense attorneys dealt with the material is it's so colorful and I'm not wanting to diminish the potency of it or the severe the seriousness of the charge or any Mm -hmm. of that because Mm -hmm. it was very very serious but it it had a quality of kind of almost larger than life so when you were reading about the trial though did that give you any insight into um into how this young woman found the strength and courage because one of the reasons victims oftentimes don't come forward to in any regard whether it's in in court or just in in public is because of what you know the the ramifications they could be called liars they could be ridiculed they could be shamed on and on and on and on and on so when you were reading about the trial which again we're not going to get into the specifics but did it give you any insight into how this young woman found the strength and courage to stand up to this a thousand year old tradition or maybe not necessarily because this is all kind of legalese but did it give you any insight just uh you did i I wouldn't call it legalese it was or it wasn't that you just got done saying they were actually writing really beautifully and detailed i guess so maybe well there was legalese as well but maybe not the way that we're unfortunately accustomed to being you know kind of kind of um repelled by it because it doesn't it's so technical yeah um um there, yes, I did get insight into what what pro- propelled her through this hell that she was thrust into, and that was a tremendous strength of character, and a and a family that supported her, mm-hmm. specifically her father, mm-hmm. about which about whom the. Uh, newspaper some of the journalists made a big deal beca- because his position was kind of the the key to why she was even alive in a way mm-hmm. you know after saying no and going to the police um, because he stood by her her father Bernardo Viola right I thought that was really interesting that she's going up against this bizarre sort of horrific 
angle of patriarchy, basically, to oversimplify. And yet one of the pillars enabling her to do that was her father. So I thought that sort of spoke to sometimes when we're going up against the system, we do need people that are part of or empowered in that system to kind of help us shake things up. Right. Because her father, like you just said, was critical to her being able to go forward with this and say, no, I'm not marrying this guy. Absolutely. Um, I I suspect she would have gone to the police anyway. In fact, there Mm -hmm. was one. In fact, I don't suspect it. There was one brief interview with her uh, right after she came home from the 10 day abduction uh, in which she said that if my father does not bring charges against you, I will. That's right. Which is astonishing. (laughs) And of course, this was reported by the papers. I mean, yeah. which in and of itself is fascinating. Right. I mean, in in, in, in many other circumstances, the, this drama, this this wrenching drama that a, a, a young woman, a girl, was thrust into would normally have been kept under very tight wraps. But because there were articles about it, because the press was showing interest in this story, um, it, it, it had it had huger big it had bigger implications and bigger effects. Well, see, and that's that's another angle to to this that was interesting to me is <clears throat> in oppression, whatever the form of oppression. In this case, oppression to to women being having to go through something as ridiculous as this. Um, but uh, something that allows that to happen first off, and something that you specifically comment a lot about in the book is the complicity of other women in this case, Mm -hmm. or it could be workers, other workers who aren't speaking out against bad conditions, the Mm -hmm. the oppressed worker, or, you know, gays who aren't speaking, whatever it is, the oppressed, oftentimes part of what facilitates that oppression is the fear, and then the people don't speak up, don't rock the boat. And so you talk about a lot in this book, or at least a few times, about how your cousin Maya and her sister didn't want to discuss Franca's story, as we talked about a second ago, but again, once you're on your, 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 You've decided you're going to try to find her. You don't know if you're going to be able to, how, what, how things are going to pan out. But they at least now know that you're trying. And even then, they still don't want to talk about it. And so I'm going to read. Um, and then there's something else that comes out related to your family, which, again, we're not going to give a spoiler. But in response to this thing related to your family, um, the, the following quote comes from the book. And I just want to read this because I think it really speaks to this sort of complicity and silence and how people are complicit through silence. So, uh, Amelia, who this is another like second cousin or yeah. something, I think yeah. I had, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I told her of... the exact relationships to everybody. Okay, okay. So Amelia says, quote, do you see Natalie? I want you to understand something about this Island. This is the way Sicilian women are taught to behave. They live their lives, keeping the dark truth to themselves, never telling even their own daughters what has happened in the family. They carry around a, sa- a shame that they die with. Uh, and then your cousin Maya at a different point or much earlier on says, quote, we are Sicilians, you see, and Sicilians respect silence because we must. Our lives depend on silence. Nobody will want to stir up the past. And that, of course, was when you were talking about, I think, undertaking taking this this search. So what are your kind of thoughts on that? Because, like I said, that comes up a few times. And you had just said this if it's interesting that the papers even covered it and did away with that silence, which is what made it such a big deal in the end. So just thoughts on silence and how this all, and how it relates to Sicilian culture and then this particular case. I'll start with my grandmother, born in Palermo, who was a very quiet woman. She held a lot in, and I didn't understand why she was quite so 
reserved and so stoic, uh, but she wasn't at all the um, the caricature of a fiery Southern Italian woman. Yeah, yeah. You know, she was the opposite of that. So that's probably where it started. I mean, I was always trying to figure out the silences in my family. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I mean, you can't be Italian <laughs> and have, you know, the opera gene, you know, the screaming. And, right. I mean, the, the right. singing and the chorus and the right. full orchestra backing yeah. your every passionate thought. <laughs> right, right. You, you, talking you, with your hands. Talking with your right, hands. Right. Um, it, that combined with the silence of of Sicilians that I first learned from my grandmother made for a very you know I was very puzzled by it. Um, of course, we've we've spoken about the mafia and about the um, what is called omerta, which is the um, you know the code of silence, which has to do with not snitching to the authorities because again back to the idea of Sicily being invaded and uh, and conquered and colonized and uh, allegiances and alliances switched every decade practically i mean it's just such an unre unreal history of kings and dukes and this person and that person taking control um the the need to learn how to not talk to authorities um it, it, that's where it comes from. Mm -hmm. I think it has a very yeah. ancient yeah. Um, history. And it is tied mm -hmm. to survival, it sounds And like. it's tied to survival. Yeah. And then you throw the mafia in where if you speak or even indicate something, you know, that you're not supposed to do, that may be the end of you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and that's, that's horrid. Right. I mean, that's, hor that's what fascinates, I think. I mean, I'm give um, Hollywood a little bit of a break <laughs> about this uh -huh. because that is a fascinating state th that, that dramatically, you know, many different movies can work with. But to live it um, and, to, and what people have gone through on the island when they've tried to defy the mafia or stand up to it, um, th this is this is this is just plain tragic. Yeah. You know. So I think I answered that. Qu well, I asked you about five questions at once. Oh, okay. So I think you did well. Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't remember which of the questions well, you actually silence. answered about silence. No, about no, no. Yeah. Silence, but I asked yeah. like from ten different angles. So yeah, you definitely answered. Okay. Um, but let's go back just and sort of wrap up the trial. My my questions about the trial with one of the most important questions, which is in the whole one of the reasons that you know that you decided to write the book is the ramifications, not just in Sic not just for Franca's life mm -hmm. or Sicily, but even beyond, beyond Sicily and throughout Europe. And I mean, again, you found about, you found out about it all the way here. Yeah. So tell me, tell us a little bit more about the ramifications of the trial itself. Well, essentially, um, Franca's original, no, no, I will not marry the man who is a criminal who violated me. No, yeah. I will not do it essentially ultimately changed the law mm -hmm. and end and more importantly ended the tradition i mean the tradition as far as i know does not exist in sicily now now it's possible that in some very remote areas i, I don't know i can't speak to that i do not know but yeah. her case jumped right to the front of of the consciousness of Sicilians in that era in the mid 60s yeah and it and it stayed there yeah and I think we can also you know just to look at our what was going on in our own country at the time and I don't mean to uh disregard the many many people who who were working with Rosa Parks because there were so many people who were working with her for so many years to achieve the 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 right to vote and the, the civil rights struggle that was going on here but rosa parks is a figurehead um and and rightly so uh, 
you know, there, is, there are these figures that come along who represent an enormous uh, transformation of society mm -hmm. by their acts. Mm -hmm. And, and th in the case of these two women, Franca Viola and Rosa Parks, their acts are in some ways very simple. Yeah. In some ways, they're very complicated. Right, right. But, but um, the, r the, the result was a change in, the, in culture, mm -hmm. which is amazing. And yeah. I had no idea a when I went. A thousand years. A thousand years, and really <laughs> maybe more like 2,000. Yeah, even more. Maybe even right, three. Right, You know, it's not a small change. Not a small change. Yeah. And one girl to do it. I mean, did, this, did, this, did the society, did the Sicilians need... A, an almost um, mythal, mythical figure, mm -hmm. which in some ways she was, though she was completely her own person yeah. and, and in no way you know, wishing to be in the public eye. This is not what she wanted. But I think because of the long tradition of, 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 of myth and tales and legends and, again, the old, you know, the old culture that just rises up from the bottom. It's just, it's just part of the soil of Sicily. I think that she spoke on a kind of a mythic level, mm -hmm. or, or her actions did, mm -hmm. I should say, mm -hmm. and with mythic um, results. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Along those lines, I mean, one of the things that is just so glaringly obvious, to me at least, that we haven't called out yet is... But in the spirit of, you know, changing culture and Rosa Parks and it's just how timely this book is mm. how t with Me Too and Time's Up and, you know, the Chicago Tribune reported yesterday about how we have states. This just seems very close to what's going on in this book. States enacting laws to prevent abortion after six weeks, which is oftentimes the woman doesn't even know they're pregnant yet. That even in cases of rape or incest, the abortions wouldn't be able to, which means that we could have. Again, very similar to what's going on in this book. Mm -hmm. Eleven-year-olds giving birth to giving birth to children that are are the result of rape, mm -hmm. which is just so close. I mean, like you said, thankfully she didn't get pregnant. Franca in your book didn't get pregnant, but um, and this has happened in Argentina. This was in the same Chicago Tribune article. They talked about earlier this year in Argentina, a country with strong prohibitions against abortion. A twelve-year-old girl and an eleven-year-old girl, both impregnated by men in their sixties were denied abortions and ultimately underwent cesarean deliveries 24 and 23 weeks, respectively. Both babies died. Tragic. Mm -hmm. And so, but I, I, I raise this not to obviously get into a talk about the pros and cons of, of abortion or where we stand on that or all that, but, but the timeliness of your book and just what are some of your thoughts mm -hmm. on that? Because again, it's so, it would be so, it would be so easy to look at this story and say, look at how far we've come. You know, that was yeah. in 1966 and Franca did change culture, Sicilian yeah. culture. And now they don't do the bride, the kid, bride kidnapping or whatever yeah. the term was. And yet we still have certain similarities that continue and persist or transform different variations on these themes. So I'm just curious also if related to all that. And once again, I'm asking you five questions at once. If you're releasing this book, in this area era of Me Too and was coincidental or just like timing just worked out that way, nice nice synchronicity, or if you were sort of cognizant of that. So yeah. anything and everything you'd like to talk about, <laughs> those huge issues <laughs> and questions, yeah. go for it. Yeah. Well, it is heartbreaking to read these items in or hear these reports yeah. in, in, in current events. It's... it's um, it's shocking in a way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's horrifying. And, and we're, we seem to be in a very regressive state right now, perhaps, you know, perhaps internationally in some ways. Um, 
about Franca, though, and about my writing the book, it is essentially a coincidence. But maybe mm-hmm. there aren't any coincidences. Right, right, I don't right, know. I mean, right. maybe the interest in the book is partially because we have been talking about some very painful things in this country in the last couple of years, Me Too, mm-hmm. and so on, mm-hmm. um, which must be talked about. Right. You know, they absolutely must. And, they, and it is not a movement that is in any way um, over anytime soon. I mean, I wish I could anytime soon, meaning that if there are stories to come, they must come. Yeah. And we must listen. Yeah. We all must listen. We have to put aside, you know, some of our um, preconceived ideas of what girls are and women really are, Mm -hmm. you know, and just listen to these heartbreaking stories that require support. They, they, these, these, these situations require support, Mm -hmm. not censure. Um, when I, I, I'm, I had a thought, but it kind of vanished. Let's see. Um, um, so the coincidence with me too, oh, yeah. with yeah. with the laws related yeah. to you know women's rights. Well, I wish I wish I, exactly. I wish I were writing a historic piece that w- was you know we could go okay good that doesn't exist right I mean, we're we're it, done with that we're done with that yeah well we're done with that in Sicily but unfortunately we're not done with it in other places yeah so this story reverberates out to other cultures other places other people. Um, but in terms of writing the book, the book took me a long time to write. Yeah. And so I really wasn't done yeah, yeah, yeah. until very recently. Yeah. It took many, many years and it, it had, I was, I thought I was done many, many times. Uh-huh. <laughs> <My> <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> Does it? Yeah. Any yeah. writers out there? Can you relate to that? <laughs> I thought I was done and then I realized I needed to, yeah. Yeah. Then my editor said I wasn't. Yeah. Then my beta reader said I wasn't. Then my, yeah. 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 It's a it's a lonely road for the for the <laughs> writer, um, and that or at least it was for me. Um, but I think it I, is for a lot of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. a lot of us. Yeah. Um, but it it did not let me go. You know, I, I I originally when I came home from my trip to Sicily, I thought, well, I'll write about it for the Chronicle. That would make a kind mm-hmm. of a full circle, mm-hmm. nice little thing. And I sure. knew someone who might help me get it published at the Chronicle. Yeah. And one needs that. One needs those connections. <laughs> that it's are, all about who you know. It is. Yeah. yeah. Um. And and I in fact did write an article for the Chronicle about it, but but the but things were percolating in me, and n- not only was Franco's story so dramatic, powerful, and moving, but I had Sicily to write about. Mm-hmm. I had the island um, itself, and the culture, and my family, and the food, and the crazy the crazy humorous crazy sad things that happen there well that was my next question so okay. i don't know i mean so so we we've been going for an hour so we're sort of okay. running out of okay. time but okay. but no but that was my next question okay. is so the story revolves around your quest to find out what happened to franca but then it's also about your own the personal side of things you're going mm-hmm. home you know one of your where your ancestors are from and you have been there before you're sort of going back to sicily and rediscovering or discovering parts of yourself and your own heritage and there are some funny stories funny that that have anecdotes that happen to you along the way i'm just curious do you have any i mean that could almost be a whole other talk probably Mm. but any thoughts about some of what's as it's represented in this book your experiences Mm. and what you took in addition to the to the franca part of the Mm -hmm. trip but what you got out of returning to sicily personally Uh uh-huh yes uh sicily um 
what I learned, and in fact, if I really analyzed what my cousin was saying that first night, the portion that I read from chapter four earlier, mm -hmm. what, she, what if I really break it down, she was saying, hold your, hold your shirt on, <laughs> hold your horses, uh, all in good time. Yeah. Uh, we have some Easter celebrations to go see and you're yeah. not going to want to miss them. Yeah. And, and nobody will be able to answer your questions anyway. Just hang on. And in Sicily, though that nobody said, says this in the book, it yeah. is to me so true. Nothing happens in a straight line or uh -huh. very little <laughs> happens uh -huh. in a linear fashion. That's the Mediterranean. Fashion. Yep. That's the Mediterranean. Yep. That's the cultural um, behavior. Yeah. Things go in curves. Things bend around and re return to where they were. Uh, there were many, many points at which I thought I was never going to get anywhere uh, researching the story or getting any answers about Franca. There were many, many people who told me she will never talk to you. Mm -hmm give up, mm -hmm. you know, she just what doesn't talk to anybody. Why would she talk to you? Right, right. You can hardly speak the <laughs> language. I right. mean, I'm being a little hard on myself. Right. I spoke relatively well, right. but I'm not fluent and I needed those. And you didn't um, speak the dialect, it sounds like. I don't speak the dialect, yeah. no, because yeah. that I was forbidden from learning. Oh, you were forbidden well, from learning. Well, my, I'm Ish. sorry. Yeah. My mother was forbidden from learning it, but of okay. course she did anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but I, I was going to say, you know, I almost needed one of those a siestas uh -huh. every afternoon to recover. <laughs> yeah, your brain <laughs> was my just... My brain was just, yeah. oh, oh, it was exhausting no, I get it. to try to uh, communicate in Italian. Nonetheless, yes. I did what I did. Um, um, but um, um, the Sicilian, I, I just have to say, my Sicilian is a completely different language. It's an exquisite ancient language and it deserves it, it and there's so much literature written in Sicilian. Oh, is there? Uh -huh, yes, uh -huh. yes. It is a, a very literary language and um, I, I'm so glad I knew a little bit of mm -hmm. it because it is, it's beautiful, it's spicy, mm -hmm. it's lively, it's musical, yeah. beyond Italian being musical, which I think it is, oh, but definitely. Sicilian has its own kind of... Does it have a lot of Arabic influence? Yes, it does. Is it like Maltese? Have you ever heard Maltese? I, I've never heard Maltese. It's fascinating. Maltese. Yeah. I've never been to Malta. Yeah. I bet yeah. it's similar in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of U's at the end, so... Um, this is one thing my yeah. my my this is the one phrase that my mother taught me in Sicilian and I love to repeat it and it occurs in the book too. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, here it goes. Okay. okay. Here we go. Upitrusinu Vinuatu Interesting. The parsley was beautiful oh, that's right. <laughs> until the cat peed on it. <laughs> so you learned the essential. I did. The essential dialect. I did. This phrase that you needed to know. I yeah, did. Yeah. yeah. But that's interesting how, yeah, you hear the U's. Yeah. So like in Catalan, one thing, and now we're really getting off track oh, here, but okay. this is fascinating. Yeah. In Catalan, what I love is, um, so Catalan, for those who don't already know, are up in the uh, northeast, you know, around Barcelona, basically, it's Catalonia. And also Mallorca and some in, in Sardinia. They have some Catalan still. Anyway, it's oh, always yeah. EU. So it's, oh, it's okay. um, Mar de Deu and um, Tanqueu la Porta. And it's all this EU, EU, EU. And it's really, it just has a really nice sound. And it sounds like it's kind of a variation on, yeah. on the use. In, oh, uh, that sounds really beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's uh, I love the sound of it. Mm. Okay. What about, um, I'm just trying to figure out where to go here. Because I was going to ask you, and I don't know, maybe... Your experience as a woman on Sicily, uh, because I like this, mm -hmm. because so much of it is about this other woman's experience as a woman, as a Sicilian woman. Yeah. And I know that 
you had you talk about in the book, which we won't get into too many specifics, but you talk about in the book before you go some of your own trepidation because you are going to be traveling at points by yourself and um, you carry a fake wedding ring to kind of ward off potential unwanted suitors. So any thoughts on kind of what you learned <laughs> as, when you were by yourself in particular as a, as a woman mm. in Sicily? Well, you know, first of all, this was 31 years ago. So yeah. things yeah. surely have changed. God I'm, willing. I'm, you know, yeah. yeah. And that's um, something I can't verify because I haven't been back yet okay. in all this time. Okay. Uh, but I need I you will, to go back for part well, I two. Need, I need to go back mm -hmm. um, at some point. Um, but my travels, one of the reasons my my cousin Maya was so protective of me was not about the mafia. It was about the men. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh, <laughs> and uh -huh. she, you know, she was far too uh, discreet to talk directly about it, but... But I mean, as soon as I was on my own and and traveling with a, a even with a tour group, I was confronted with some situations that were annoying, infuriating, um, mad. You know, you just want to stamp your feet, but right. you can't. Right. Um, I was treated with a, a, and again, this could be historic, and I hope it is. Yeah. Um, but I I was not treated very well being a single female male male traveling alone because single women aren't supposed to be out in the world you know uh -huh. it's a part, kind of a variation of an ex uh, a, a franca's situation was an extreme yeah and what girls went in went through before the era that i'm talking about was far more restrictive horrifyingly so horrifying yeah but um for me even then there were vestiges of those old attitudes of course i get them here too i mean we all do, yeah. you know, and that, that's why I've included some of those anecdotes because uh -huh. I think many people, women in particular, but people can relate to just the hassling, the yes. hassling yes. of being an obvious foreigner yes. and getting into kind of hot water without realizing it and having to, you know, improvise a way out. That um, resonates yeah. in my experiences, okay. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, not not as a woman, obviously, but being the obvious foreigner yeah. and just being, you know, yeah, the target, the and target. then having to try to try to get out of that. But it was interesting because in one situation, a woman puts you in your place. A woman is the one who basically makes you feel like you shouldn't be out on your own again. That's so there's true. that whole complicity that sometimes yeah. come up comes up that that angle on things. Yeah. But one thing I wanted to, as we sort of wrap up here. At the same time, I just like this juxtaposition, and I liked that you wove this in occasionally into the story. At the same time, as we're talking about some of the challenges that women have traditionally faced in Sicily, hopefully less so today, there's also this tradition that goes way, way, way back of these strong mythological, and you work oh, them into yeah. the book periodically, right? Do you want to just talk about a yeah. couple of those and, and their I, relevance to the story and to Sicily? And Oh, I would love to. Yeah. Um, the island, the traditional island flag, right. the Trinacria, right. is the three-legged triskelion, or there, it has <laughs> other names, but it's the head of Medusa uh -huh. in the center yeah. um, with three l running legs sticking out of her head. Right. She has snakes for hair. In some, I mean, there are different versions of this, but yeah. she has the Medusa snakes for hair. She has ears that have that are winged, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> and I'm leaving something out. Oh, there are sheaves of wheat uh -huh. stuck into this very complex, amazing symbol. And the first, I, I mean, it's the most beautiful. It's brilliant, and it's ancient. Um, it goes back to Homer's time, I believe, yeah. probably. Yeah. Um, and it's also actually in the Isle of 
man. Uh-huh. Actually, it's uh-huh. up there as well. Okay. The island symbol. Yeah. But it's a it's a stunning um, uh, rendering of the woman at the center. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that that's the symbol of this island. And that's the symbol of the island. Yeah. And there are a few more um, goddesses and and mythological figures who figure very hugely. And I'm going to ask you about a couple, but okay. I want to read okay. one quote. Well, first okay. of all, I want to say I forgot to say at the beginning of the show, if anyone has questions, this is very last minute, so you might not have been thinking about questions, but if anyone has questions, we are drawing to the end. Now would be the time to let us know. But um, but I want to read one quote that you have about the Trinacria. Is, mm-hmm. is that how you say yeah. it? Yeah, that's how you because say it. Because I just thought this was beautiful. And again, I thought it's a great example of how you weave this into the story. So quote, undoing the clasp of my necklace because you're wearing the pendant the yeah. whole time. I studied the Trican- Trinacria medallion, which struck me as an ancient sort of compass or treasure hunt map. This talented dame could sprint, fly, or slither. And somehow, mysteriously, she was going to direct me in my search. So I love that even though we're talking about all the challenges that women are facing, you as a traveler, especially obviously Franca and, and what she went through, all the same, it's this strong, badass, I mean, she's got wings for ears and snakes for hair, woman <laughs> who is the symbol of the island. But tell me a little bit about Aphrodite and Persephone, just kind of quickly, because yeah. those are two other ones that were really important here, it yeah. sounds like, as well. Yes, thank you. Um, I think one of the reasons that the Franca dilemma you know the dilemma that franca faced was news um was because it reminded people unconsciously of persephone yeah persephone the young goddess the girl the the daughter of demeter or demeter some people say yeah who was abducted as she was picking flowers in Mm. a field with her friends so unfair yeah so unfair (laughs) abducted by who hades (gasps) hades <gasps> you know the god of the underworld and in he rode up in his chariot he broke through the ground and grabbed her and drove with her down screaming down uh in, back into the bowels of the earth into yep. the underworld yep. and i you know i feel that uh uh um franca in some ways you know at least unconsciously and all the more powerfully for that reason was reminiscent her acts were reminiscent of that very powerful very popular myth that many of us it's the favorite but of the many entire, of us but the entire myth minus the part of, isn't she the one who had to eat the pomegranate seeds? well she did eat the pomegranate yeah. seeds yeah that's but, the only part that maybe franca right. didn't necessarily and maybe franca did do it we don't know but i mean the parallels yeah, the are parallels. crazy yeah specific they're crazy specific yeah, yeah. i think she in some ways she did eat the pomegranate seeds for one year Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. or maybe for more. I can't speak for her. Yeah. Um, but um, I mean, she did have to undergo a trial. Yeah. And that was a kind of a return to hell. Yes. For I mean, sure. it definitely was right. for her. Right. And also, I'll just say that you know, in in subsequent times, she said that um, she the, the 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 attention of the media was devastating for her she didn't want it this mm-hmm. is not what she asked for. Right. I mean, I suppose someone could say that about Dr. Christine. Blasey Ford, am I remembering mm, her name correctly? I, that sounds more or less uh, right. Yeah, okay, it's been okay. a while. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, I think it's Christine. I'm sorry, I'm blanking yeah. out for some. But you know what? When we see women being put through hell in front of a, a committee in Congress or something, um, or in front of a a, a, a ju- judge and jury um, trial, we're we're seeing someone who should be supported and is being put through the ringer. So in that sense, I think that she um, did eat at least one pomegranate seed. <laughs> Not that she, I mean, she was starving. Uh-huh. Yeah. She, she had been, yeah. she had been, uh, 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 
fasting the the couple of nights before she was abducted so she was really hungry and <laughs> um you know i'm i'm talking about franca and this is th th this is you know the myth fortunately takes on uh, uh it has a different ending yeah. than her story yeah, but she so. did yeah. go undergo many years of being the subject of attention that she did not want to be in that sense she was in hell right for sure mm -hmm. for sure mm -hmm. okay in wrapping up here i want to move quickly from mythology to just a quick question about mysticism so I had Erin Byrne on a few weeks ago and we talked about her book Wings uh -huh. and um, in Wings and, and the title even refers to at least in part to some interactions Erin had with a statue in Paris in the Louvre winged victory. Well, here I am reading. So I just had her on two shows ago and here I am reading your book and you go to a museum and you have statues talking to you. So I don't know. Is this a thing now that's happening <laughs> or uh, what did that interaction mean to you? Do you just want to quickly touch on that? Because I thought yeah. it was funny. I've, you know, two of the past three books I've read have had w f the, the writers, the, the travelers talking to statues. So I didn't know mm -hmm. if this is happening all over now or um, if I should be concerned or if I should go find some <laughs> statues to talk to myself. Yes. Perhaps, Any thoughts on that, that exchange be, that you had? Yeah. Perhaps that's an option for you okay. if, if, if a statue speaks to you in whatever form, yeah. you know, maybe interact with it. Okay. Um, for me, it's the power of art, of beautiful art, beautiful mm -hmm. sculpture, the mm -hmm. two the two statues and the head that talked to me, the head of the philosopher. Yeah. Um, these are magnificent um, bronzes from um, uh, f that were that are in the museum in Reggio di Calabria, which is across the Strait of Messina from Sicily. So it's actually at the very tip of the toe of Italy. But they spoke to me because I needed guidance. Mm -hmm. And I also had banged my head in an unfortunate incident. <laughs> and I was a little woozy and a little out of it. And a little open. And a little open. Open, because you have to, if they can uh, speak, but if you're not open, you're not going to hear them speaking, yeah, right? Yeah. I, I think art is speaking all the time to us. I think that's why art is there. And, you Amen. know, usually we probably have our, 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 our ears. Our rational mind over, yeah, our yeah. rational mind shutting down the ears yeah. to what, what it has to say. Yeah. And those statues really helped me. Mm -hmm. They were life-saving for me. I love that. Thank you. I love that. Thank yeah. you. So yeah. I think statues have always been speaking. Yeah. It's just, we gotta, yeah. we gotta pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so in wrapping up, there's only one thing that's missing from this book, and you actually touched on it earlier. I did. What yeah, was just that? in passing. Yeah. Recipes. Uh, and the only reason I say that is because <laughs> you're constantly talking, and this is one of the things that we love about books that take place in, in countries with great culinary traditions, right? <laughs> She's constantly talking about this amazing meal, and then this amazing meal, and then this amazing street thing she gets, and this amazing restaurant. And it's all the ingredients that I love, garlic and mint and all these Mediterranean herbs. And so I would just like to suggest that in the next edition of this book, uh -huh. you put some recipes. Oh, actual recipes. Or a companion. Yeah, actual recipes. Oh, okay. Thanks. I think that what that, a great suggestion. Or a companion book, you know, recipes oh from God. The Girl Who Said No. Yeah. And we'll talk wow. with Larry about that. Make that we happen. We will. And yeah. that's Larry Habegger. That's Larry Habegger, Traveler's Tales publisher of this book awesome all-around guy yes. former guest on matthew felix on air uh, but yeah i was thinking that afterwards i was okay. thinking that would be great because yeah. my mouth is just watering the whole time oh okay yeah yeah except for one there was one Which girl was oh spleen you didn't eat it either i didn't eat it either yeah. but it's, a, it's a delicacy yeah. i mean it's very beloved it's 
It's a huge um, cow spleen that's cooked on a spit. Where was I? They were just talking about eating brains. I mean, we eat everything. Well. Right? And then they call it a delicacy. Yeah. You never ate it. I did not. Okay. I did not. But you're not vegetarian. That was just too much. No, I. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was too much for me at that time. Okay. Yeah. All right. We need to wrap things up. This was okay. a great talk. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank I loved you. the book. I'm getting the book from my mom from oh. for Mother's Day. Oh, I talked wow. to her before the show today, and uh-huh. I hadn't gotten her anything yet because they're actually traveling, so I couldn't send her anything. Uh-huh. And I was telling her about our talk, and she said, "Oh, that sounds like a book I would like." I said, "I'm sending you that for your for Mother's Day. Perfect, win win. I don't have to feel like a horrible son, and you get a book that sounds interesting." So, uh, so yes, I really enjoyed the book. I highly recommend the book. So check it out again. The Girl Who Said No by Natalie Gali. Uh, and I also just want to say TravelersTales.com because your website yes. is not up yet, it's although it will be soon. It's in construction, but happening rapidly. Happening rapidly. So for now, TravelersTales.com. And then I also wanted to mention you have one upcoming event that we want to make sure people know about who yes. are local. Yes. I will be speaking at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco on Tuesday, May 21st at noon. And I will be signing books afterwards. Okay. All right. Yeah. So if you're a local, check that out. Commonwealth Club. That's on the Embarcadero now, right? Yes. I mean, not. It's, I say it, now. I, know, I think they moved there years ago. They used um, to be on Market Street, I think, for a building. long time. Yeah, it's a new. Like, I think it's their own building. Yeah. They're and doing well for the themselves. Ferry building, so it is. To get to so if you don't live water. in the city, you can still cross the bay easily and come. That again is at noon on May 21st at the Commonwealth Club. That's right. Natalie, thank you much for being here today. Thank you, Matthew. This was great. It's been wonderful. All right. That's all for today. I can't switch to my normal camera because, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I'm missing a camera. We're going to have to get to the bottom of that. So I'm just going to do it to that camera right now. And Natalie's going to be with me as I close out. And I just say thanks again to Natalie for being here. Thanks also to WordSpace Studios for being here. They, again, or, or for hosting me, rather, for letting me be here, letting us be here. They, again, are at WordSpaceStudios.com. Thank you for watching and listening. If you liked the show, would you please share on social media and subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen or watch. I would really appreciate it, and it really helps. For more about me, my website is matthewfelix.com, and links to my social media, books, other podcasts, and all the rest can be found there. If you have any comments, ideas for the show, or just want to say hello, I would love to hear from you at felixonair at matthewfelix.com. Thanks again for watching and listening, and have a great week.